then I would have to jump up there. And uh, again, most times didn't need to talk, but my job was to always be ready to talk. And typically when the feed would go down, some of you were there in those days, it would go something like this. Richard would be kind of ranting and raving and he'd say, and the most important thing is, and he'd go off, you know. And then I would sit there for a moment and then I would stand up and have the microphone and I would normally say this, aren't you glad you're not me right now? <laughs> and people would die laughing and then we would try to hold it together because my job was to be ready to speak. And um, this was a week that I didn't speak a whole lot, wasn't speaking about what was going on in our country, it was mostly just listening and praying, uh, mourning over people in our community feeling really angry uh, because they voted conservative and they're frustrated with the reaction on the left and people feeling angry because they voted on the left and they're angry with the selection on the right. And uh, it has been a messy week for many of us. And this is the space in the church. This is the space that we are truly aligned under something way bigger than our politic. And our politic is important. The way we speak about social issues is very important. The way that we use our voice to advocate for the marginalized, the oppressed, very important. But most important is what gives us unity in the first place, and that's Christ. And so this is a week where I say, I'm glad to be me, and I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad that we get to look at an issue that at a surface level may feel a little bit ethereal today to talk about rest. You know, shouldn't we be talking about, yes, but all of those discussions flow out of first presence with Christ. And so before we run out and talk about the things that we care about in our country and our community, the things in the courts, the thing about, you know, marginalized, all of those matter a great deal. But if we're not speaking first from a place of presence in Christ that is heard as we rest in him, then we're speaking out of our own power and not his. And so today, my encouragement is for us to hear God's teaching on rest in an entirely fresh perspective, that in perhaps one of the messiest weeks in the recent couple of years that have seen a lot of messy weeks, maybe this teaching on rest God had his purpose for us to arrive at these texts today. So let's pray. And then we'll dive in. Father God, thank you so much for your teaching on rest. Thank you that you made us to be finite beings. Lord, you are the infinite and we are the finite. God, you are everywhere and we are just somewhere. And Father, we pray that this morning as we come to your scriptures to hear more about how we've been created, that you would remind us that there is a rest to enter with literally and taking small moments and breaks and metaphorically, Lord, as the, the earth is shaking, that our hope is one that will not be shaken. That though the world is at war in many ways, that we have a rest available in the rock of Christ in which we stand. In your great name we pray. Amen. Uh, for Christmas, Heather gave me this book called Words That Mean Something. 
Uh, it's a compendium book, kind of, kind of silly, well illustrated, kind of, tri- you know, words that many of them almost trivialize, words many of them, most of them from other cultures, you know, words that mean something that kind of are funny to us because we just don't have use for that word in our language today. There's a Swedish word, restfeber, which is a literal word in Swedish about the restless beat of a traveler's heart before the journey begins. That's a good word. That's a word that means something, though we don't often live into its meaning or know its meaning. There's another word from Africa, Ubuntu, from South Africa, essentially meaning that I find my worth in you and you find your worth in me. It's roughly translated kindness. It's, that's powerful. That's a word that means something. The book has these other words that, that mean something, but not really. There's this German word, Kummerspeck, which literally means grief bacon. It it's means uh, the excess weight we gain with emotional overeating. Grief bacon. There's a word for this. I'm an emotional eater. I get this. Kummerspeck. Grief bacon. There's this other word, parunkamasa. It's a Finnish word meaning the distance a reindeer can comfortably travel before taking a break. That's a real word in the Finnish language, the parunkamasa. I mean, that's, that's, that's a word that means something, but it doesn't really mean that much to us, right? I mean, it's, these words mean something, but they don't mean that much. Another word that we know the meaning of, but maybe has questionable meaning to us is this word, rest. I mean, it has meaning, no doubt, and, and, you know, we just heard Scripture. God talks about it. Jesus commands it, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that much. It's not like as a big word like justice or a strong word like we talked about last week, like intimacy. Rest doesn't mean like that, right? I mean, it doesn't in how we live it out. And what we think functionally of the power of a word. And today God wants to correct that line of thinking because many of us in the room, rest is the least obeyed commandment. We are commanded to rest. And to God, my, my emphasis this morning, to God, rest is a currency of us to him. It's a currency of trust and of love. And if we do not rest, We can't enter into that experience of taking true solace in the God who commands us to rest in him. And God commands rest in the scriptures as a time in which God wants to put us back together because we're often busy falling apart. And I'm not going to take a show of hands, but I I I would bet if your life is like mine, rest just feels really, really challenging. God says to his people in creation, he says to his people in Exodus, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And Jesus himself says, come to me, you weary ones, and rest. And so even this morning with what's going on in our country, what's going on in our elections, what's going on in our courts, what's going on in our streets, what's going on, I mean, it's a scary time. And people are really afraid, people on the left and people on the right. But God's emphasis of rest, it's not abandonment. And rest in in Jesus Christ is not passivity. The rest is our starting place, from which place we can be sent out. God says rest. And this is really the counterpoint to what I preached on a couple weeks ago in the emphasis of work. We are called to be on mission for God from a starting place of resting fully in him. And so our big idea this morning is that learning the call of discipleship is is learning the call to rest and rest fully and completely in the power of Christ this morning and not our own work. 
Let's look at how things were at the beginning. In this four-part outline we've been using throughout this series, creation. We were created in order to understand in rest we would understand we were worshiping God. In rest, we would understand our own finitude. Genesis 2.3, on the seventh day, God finished the work he'd been doing, and on the seventh day, he rested from his work. And then God blessed that day and made it holy because on it, he rested from the work of creating that he had done. I mean, the holiness comes from the rest. The holiness does not come from the labor. God looks at the resting of that day, and he makes it holy. Something holy happens when we rest, the Hebrew word for rest there is Shabbat, which we, we kind of transliterate that to English, becomes Sabbath. When we Sabbath, whether for 24 hours, 12 hours, one hour, when we rest, we understand the way in which we were created. Marva Don, a, a lady from Washington State who taught uh, for the North and B.C., uh, Marva wrote about keeping the Sabbath holy, and she says this. She says, a great benefit of Sabbath keeping is that we learn to let God take care of us, not becoming passive and lazy, but in the freedom of giving up our feeble attempts to be God in our own lives. No rest speaks towards who we trust. Do we trust God with our life, or do we trust ourselves in our own efforts? Hebrew scholar Abraham Heschel on Sabbath, he says, God always works in rest. The week begins with rest, and this was the Vision of Sabbath, a literal day of ceasing from our labor to enjoy God's blessing. And so as a working definition, we rest when we enjoy God's blessing. For some people, I was talking to a guy after the first service, just took this epic hunting trip. I said, was it restful? Oh, yeah. I mean, we were up early, we were climbing over stuff, but it was so restorative to me. It's rest. It's a nap. It's laying on the carpet with a child. It's rest, where we're ceasing from our trying to be God of our own lives to experience what God is putting right at our feet. And it's very interesting to understand the way in which the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew people understood the creation of the days to understand what God commands in wrath. So in Genesis 1-5, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. We know this from Genesis. And then this. And then there was evening and there was morning the first day. So for Jewish understanding of a day, it starts first with the evening. And so that's for, for Jewish people keeping the Sabbath or celebrating the holy days upcoming, that it begins at nightfall, very different than our Western mindset. We know that our calendars are set at midnight, but for most of us, we say, are you going to do this today, the day and the hours where we're awake doing stuff, or are we going to do it tomorrow when we're awake? We typically in the West, we think of day being when we're awoken to something, but for the Hebrew people, they understood that before the sun even rises, God is already working. This is pretty cool. Before the sun even is rising, God is already working. And so modern theologians like Barbara Brown Taylor and others are unpacking what they're calling a theology of darkness. And for sure, this talks about the way in which we can worship God even while our hearts are broken. And we can worship God even when we're in grief. And we can worship God while we're wrestling. And, and in our clouds of unknowing, we're in these deep seasons of unrest. We can still worship God. Uh, Time Magazine wrote an article about finding God in the dark. To this, Barbara Brown Taylor, beautiful book about seeking God in the midst of real challenge uh, she, she writes this, God does some of God's best work at night. Her book is called Learning to Walk in the Dark, and, and she unpacks in the book some of God's dark works, 
the way in which in scriptures God works in the dark. This is Jacob wrestling the angel in the dark. The Red Sea being parted at night, the exodus happening at night, both Joseph and Samuel, God speaking to them in dreams at night. It's this amazing way that God works while we rest. And, and she writes in the book, she said, sometimes we are plunged into such a cloud of unknowing that none of our outside navigational tools can help. That's the place where we truly can discover God and the truths about our own lives. And no one wishes to enter such a difficult place. The goodness of darkness is usually revealed later in the rearview mirror. And so she, she suggests embracing the darkness sometimes and, and the tough things at times. To understand that our faith doesn't make things easy. On the contrary, when things get hard is when we need God to show up. And if there's ever a week where we look and we realize we need God to show up, it's the darkness of this last week. Friends, as the church, when it's nighttime, we should believe that though it's dark, God is working. And when we look at people in our community that are scared, we can say, not Christianese that says, oh, God's going to take care of things. We can say, God already has taken care of things, and we have no idea what he's doing. But we need him today more than ever before. And so we trust that in the darkness, God is going to show up. Because while we rest, God can work. While we rest, we let our gifts grow. When we rest, we remember our limitations. We are human beings. As the cliche goes, not human doings, but we're so good at never stopping. This is, for me, a tough one to preach to you, friends. This is a tough one because I like to work hard. But when I cease is when I can remember that God wants to do great things through me and in me. We're finite beings. We can't, we can't take more than we can chew at once. I had to learn this the hard way this summer. We took this family vacation. We ended up at this family camp with really good friends. Pastor Richard was there as a speaker. It was celebratory, and there was this giant barbecue out at the line and big buffet lines. And the thing with me, remember that word grief bacon? It kind of works for me because when I get worried, when I'm thinking, sometimes I just want to eat and consume. Although I know that there's limitations, sometimes I just, I'll just go back for a little more, a little more. So we're done with lunch. Like, we're done. The program is going on. I'm not even hungry anymore. But I'm like, you know what? I'm going to have a little bit more of that grief bacon. I'm going to go back for some chicken on the buffet line. And I know in my head and my heart, I know I'm not even hungry anymore. But I go back anyway. Because sometimes I don't even want to live into my own limitations. And so I grab this like pound chicken breast, barbecue chicken breast. And I'm walking back to where my family is. And I know that if I sit down with them, they're all going to look at me kind of funny. Because we're all done. Lunch is done. And so instead what I decide is I grab this chicken breast. And I'm like, I'm just going to like shove a bunch in my mouth real quick and then throw away the evidence and then go back to my family. So I bite off like a six ounce piece of chicken breast, try to swallow it whole without chewing it and start to choke. And instead of running to my family that's waiting for me on the lawn, I'm hiding in the back so ashamed that I try to swallow six ounces of chicken without chewing it. So I'm literally in the back. I'm like, I can't breathe. There's chicken breast in my throat. My eyes, are, I mean, I'm literally, people are looking at me and I'm like, Ugh, Ugh. you know, I, it was horrible. What's the point? The point is that sometimes we don't know when to quit. We don't know when to stop. We don't know when to just to say, I've had enough. Like this, for some of us, it is food. For many of us, though, it's time. 
We don't know when to say it's enough. I need to rest now. That I, I'm done. I've gotten up early. I've stayed up late. I've worked for this many days straight. I need, to, I need to stop and trust that while I rest, God can work. It's how we were created. It's tough to live into. We think of this as a new problem. It's not. It's been happening since the beginning. We live in disruption. And from the beginning, God has been trying to tell his people that rest can become worship. Rest can be restorative. Rest can be a time where we actually are putting our faith in God and we've struggled with it from the beginning. This is the disruption we live in. And we've, we've lived into this today. We've lived into it at the beginning of creation. We've lived into it and struggled to live into it, I should say, uh, since Exodus, since the Israel's journey through the desert. In Exodus 20, Moses says, and God says through Moses, verses 8 through 10, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And God is saying that when we rest, we're actually fulfilling our calling as being his people. And so six days, yeah, go work. Go collect manna. Like, go do the thing that God wants you to do. Do it. Make a, make a difference. Like, be involved. Speak out. Care for others. Be, like, do stuff. Work hard. But there is a seventh day coming. And God says, if you don't ever stop to rest, you can't live into the fullness that I want you to experience. And you don't really trust me. Who do you trust with your life? Who do you trust with your time? For God and his people, the reminder is that our holiness is born out of rest and not always out of our work. And sometimes people, we start to have this conversation about, about rest and kind of, we're talking now practically about actually resting and doing, you know, ceasing from your labor and being present with those that you need to be present to and taking a nap or sleeping in a little bit. And people get hung up like, well, I can't do that on the seventh day. I can't do it for a full day. You know, I've, I've got to work these next two weeks. I'm going to call at the hospital or I'm a, I'm a student and it's finals week. And I don't think God's up there with the scorecard. He's not saying you've got to do it a certain way. He's just saying, once in a while, you do need to do it my way. And my way, says God, is restful. Jesus says in Mark 2, 27 through 28, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And the truth is, for many of us, we fear stopping we fear resting. There's more to do. There's more to check. There's more to, to enable. And we struggle to live into it. We know that we should rest more. But we say, how? When? Where? Rest here. But how? I talked to a family after the first service. They have a baby. They almost laughed at me. They're like, yeah, funny. Rest? No. I said, maybe rest looks like 15 minutes. Maybe it looks like going for a walk around your neighborhood while the baby nap. I don't know what it looks like. Let's not be hung up in the how. Let's be present to the what. God wants us to be present to him. He says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so we are commanded to be Jesus' people doing his work and one of my big hopes for this year as we think about the ministry year ahead, annual meeting tomorrow night, a lot of things are just dreaming about for this church. Just after the pain of this week, I'm like, yeah, we need to more than ever do the work that Jesus commands us to do. Speak out for the brokenhearted and care for the widows and, and, and care for the oppressed and like, 
be Jesus' people. Like, when, you know, let's, let's do that stuff that Jesus commands us to do because the world needs pictures of hopefulness. You know what else Jesus tells us to do if we're going to do his stuff? He says, rest. Rest. Matthew 11, 28 through 30, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And just to get really practical for a moment here before we kind of dig into some other issues, it's really hard for many of us to rest with a phone in our hands all the time. On Monday, I went to a Seahawk game and uh, with an old friend, I only see a few times a year, and he treated me to the game. And it was amazing because the action on the field was robust, as all Seahawk games are. And then any break in the action, like everyone around us, myself included, it's like, oh, I got to get on you know, Facebook and Instagram, check my email, like everyone. Then the game would start, phones down. And then, and I'm sitting there by my friend. I'm not asking him about his marriage. I'm not talking about his kids. I mean, we're like on our phones. And so many of us, it's so difficult to rest because we're constantly addicted to that automatic pulse through our phones. In the proceedings of the National Academy of Science in January of 2015, they did this research, and they found cell phone use in bed leading to decreasing levels of melatonin, making sleep difficult. And in the journal article, they say this, overall, we found that the use of portable light-emitting devices, a.k.a. phones, immediately before bedtime has biological effects that may perpetuate sleep deficiency and disrupt circadian rhythms, both of which can have adverse impacts on performance, health, and safety. With much phone, there is little rest. And recently, this photographer from the Atlantic Monthly he took pictures of real-life people, and he didn't tell them he was taking pictures of them on their phones. He just took pictures of people doing life. And he took pictures, and then afterwards, he kind of took the phone out of the picture to kind of show them what their life looks like right now. So these are just pictures of people, real people, people like you and me, what it looks like without the devices in their hands. I mean... And these are real photos where the picture, the, the camera, I'm sorry, the phones have been scrubbed out. It's amazing though, isn't it? Like how do we rest when we're constantly wired in? If we can have smartphones, but at some level, I just feel like with me, I'm like, man, this thing is like mastering me. We have to be able at times to step away from our devices and the, and the things in which keep us tethered to other people's expectations so that we can rest with others and in God himself. And this is the hope that we get really as people of Christ. We say the hope can come from one place and one place only, and that's in the person of Christ. And there's an amazing story about hope in the midst of the storm that's so applicable on a week like this. In Mark 4, 35, we get this story, this narrative of what happens with Christ. So the day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him, and a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? 
And he got up and rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Asleep in the boat, in the midst of a storm rocking their world, Jesus says, when you can't rest, it speaks to what we're afraid of. And when we can't rest, it speaks to which we have faith in. That when the winds come up and the waves beset us, that there is one place that can be restful for us. And a week like this, we need to be mindful that though our anxiety is real and people in our community are scared, and whether you voted left or right, and whether, you know, it's, if we see each other in the church, like there's reasons why we voted the way we did, not because the other is ignorant and, and hateful, but because people are trying to be obedient. But you have to know that people are scared. And even in our community, hate crimes have ticked up. Pastor in West Seattle, Prentice, emailed all the pastors, a person in their congregation, hate crime, sprayed across that. Like, it's scary what's going on out there. And the winds and the waves are coming. And it just feels like, Jesus, don't you care? We're falling apart here. Jesus reminds us in the midst of the most difficult times, there's one place to find our rest. And that's the truth of Christ. And when we're living out of fear, we're not living out of this place of trusting that somehow, some way, somehow, Jesus is going to be present to us in the midst of this storm. Paul talks about this and the the call not to be anxious all the time. In Philippians 4, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, we're supposed to somehow be thankful in the midst of these storms. I don't know how. Maybe it's we're supposed to be thankful that it's so messy that the church finally will get an opportunity to be salt and light in our community. Maybe that's what we're supposed to be thankful for. Paul says, Present your request to God. And in the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. And friends, Paul got world at war. Paul saw Christians burned at the stake. Paul got empire. Paul got a division between the work of God and an empire over them. Paul got it, maybe more than we get. So we got to read these words. This was written to a world at war in the midst of the Roman Empire, that there is thanksgiving and our requests go to God and there is peace which comes from God himself. And so as God's people, we get commanded in the midst of this craziness to rest in two levels literally, that we are meant to Sabbath and take breaks and step aside, and not the once-a-year vacation, but we are meant to be practicing lives of rhythm that have some gaps in it. We have to first practice literal rest, and then secondly and, and deeper, we enter into a place where we say, in the midst of the storm, my hope is in Christ. You know why the number one peop- reason People leave the church. This happens around the country and it happens around the city and it happens right here in our own community. People leave the church because they feel invisible to one another. I had this guy reach out to me recently and said, you know, we've stopped coming because someone close to me died and nobody reached out and no pastors reached out. I was busy I can get defensive. I'm busy doing the work of the church and 
If we're always busy, we can't be present to those needs right in our community. Who's lonely? Who's sick? Who needs a meal? Who in our neighborhood needs a word of hope? Who's disrupted on Facebook that we could be praying for and reach out? Like if we're, if we're busy, it's hard to do the gospel work of being there for one another. And so the hope that the New Testament commands us to enter into is both a literal, like ceasing from our labor at times, and deeper than that, that in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of storms, in the midst of chaos, we have a place that can truly be restful for us, and that's in Christ and in Christ alone. There is a home for the weary traveler, the weary soul. It's in Christ. I got this email from this guy a couple weeks ago, and we just got together. I knew him in high school. I didn't start following Jesus until I was 18, but he knew that about me. I used to take him to church sometimes. I haven't seen him in 20 years. And he reached out to me via Facebook, and he said, I need to... I need to connect with you. I feel like my life has gone horribly off track. And so we had lunch this week, and I was, you know, just catching up. It's amazing how you haven't seen somebody for 20 years, but you still kind of know them. And he said, Scott, you know, I feel like at 40, he said, I feel like I'm probably halfway done. And I don't want the second half to be lived like the first half. And so we talked, and I prayed for him. Where do we get the hope that the world needs? Where do we get this, the, the truth that people look at us and say, I, I want some more in life? It comes as we're restful. And that we say, in the midst of a stormy world, we have a place to put our life. And that's our obedience to Christ. May we be Christians for such a time as this. Not despite these times, in the midst of these times, we have a faith that enlivens us and impassions us, and it starts from rest. Much like the Hebrew day, we rest first, and from there is our safe place on which we serve from, on which we speak from, on which we advocate from, because we've spent time with Christ himself. And this is the culmination of the resting place of Christ. This is the culmination, this is the end of the story talked about in Revelation. But in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 4 has this really powerful text on entering the rest, that our life would be in that deeper level of rest. We'd be entering a space where we say our life looks like we rest in Christ alone. And Paul, or I'm sorry, the writer of Hebrews, probably not Paul, says in Hebrews 4, make every effort to enter the rest. There is a Sabbath rest to enter. There is this literal break we need to take, and deeper than that, that there is the Sabbath rest to enter, that we have, this, we have this ability to connect with Christ himself that can be our peace in times of disruption. And that's ultimately from one place, from Christ himself. Mark 6, Jesus says, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. Jesus says to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. In Revelation 21.6, Jesus says, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the springs of the water of life. There is nothing more to do. We are almost, it's almost paradoxical. We are commanded as believers to strive to enter the rest. On a practical level, and a deeper, deeper level, we are called to enter the rest that our hope would be in who Jesus is to us. And a lot of people, you know, kind of talking about the church and wrestling with how people be more engaged. 
You'll say, you know, do people leave right now because they're wrestling with theology? I think most people are struggling to know how to rest. More people are wrestling with busyness and youth soccer and NFL schedule than issues of atonement and, and Calvinism versus Arminianism. We're just busy. We're not bad. We're just busy. And so Christ has called us to be, to be entering into a life with him that's, that's shelter. It's shelter to us. I had this friend make this comment to me. She, she said, you know, you really have all the time you need. I was busy telling her that, you know, once the kids were a little bit older, I'd have more time. Or once we sold our business, I'd have more time. Or, you know, once I did this next thing, I'd have more time. And she said, I, I kind of believe differently. I think you have all the time that you need. That was a real challenge for me. Scripture reminds us that maybe when we do less, God can do more. Because Christ wants to be that strength in the midst of our weakness. Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Friends, it's our time of need. And do not waste the present thinking that you'll have more rest later when the baby is older or when you're married or when this next job starts or waiting for life to begin. Christ is calling us as his people on both levels, like literally take a break. And maybe when you do less, I can do more through you. And deeper than that, Christ says, let me be shelter to you. Let me be, while you rest, your safe place. And from that place, Christ says, I will empower you. I want to send you out to the nations. I want you to speak out for those that have no voice. I want you to do great and powerful things in your life. But it will come first when I am your resting place. When I am your shelter. And that's my big encouragement this morning because I think for many of us, myself included, the inability to rest comes from my inability to trust. Will we trust God with our lives? Will we trust God even in the midst of a week like we've had and a year like we've had, seeing so much disruption and pain in the lives of others? Can we rest that God is going to be present to us and from that place of resting in him, may that be our safe place? In the place where we actually have you know, some, some stores, some energy, some encouragement to speak to a world. It's really amazing if you look at Mark 4 when Jesus calms the storm because Jesus calls them to go to the other side of the lake. He tells them where they're going. And if you read further in Mark 4 and Mark 5 and Mark 6, on the other side of the lake, Jesus does amazing things. On the other side of the lake, there's literal chains that get broken and people are set free. And on the other side of the lake, there's a dead girl who receives life. And on the other side of the lake, the oppressed are freed. And on the other side of the lake, hungry are fed, thousands of them. On the other side of the lake, Jesus says, I'm going to change the world, but I need to take a nap first. So I've got some energy for what's going on over there. And friends, when we're so caught up in our doing and our screaming and our working 
And we're in the storm and waves are breaking and, and we're just saying, Jesus, don't you even care about us? We've lost all perspective. We forgot that there's another side. And Jesus is going to do these amazing things and he's going to do them with us, through us, through the church. The church is more powerful this week than it was last week. The church, you are sitting with people that voted differently than you. But if you love Jesus, you're on the same team. And just remember that our voice gets more powerful when we're unified in him. And it means we need to take a break sometimes. And then that we would find our identity is resting in the truth of Jesus. And then from that, that becomes our starting place to the other side. There's so much work to be done. There is so much work to be done. It starts in the boat with a Savior who's telling us, rest, breathe, come with me. I've got this. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the call to remember to rest. And that, Lord, that takes us in very practical spaces into needing rest this afternoon or after this busy season is done or maybe next week if we need a little bit of an alibi for these coming busy days. But, Father, teach us how to be people that can truly rest in small, tangible, practical ways, putting our phones down, being present to the child on the carpet at our feet, being present to the roommate over a cup of coffee, being present to the marginalized in our community, being present to the people that want someone to talk to. God, if we're busy, we're distracted. If we're distracted, we're likely missing folks around us who are hurting. So teach us, Lord, to be more restful and be more aware. And Father, may this be our narrative. May this, may this be our story that in the midst of the wind, in the midst of the waves, in the midst of a world gone mad, Lord, that we're, we're going to the other side. And you're going to do mighty things through the church. Keep us engaged that our rest, our identity, our focus, our hope, we will not be shaken, Lord. It comes in you and you alone. Remind us. Refresh us. Give us that peace and that hope, Lord. Hold us together while we're busy falling apart. Move through us while we rest. And may you be our resting place. And all God's people said, amen. You stand with us as we continue in song. I'm, I'm hopeful that you've identified some places in the rest of the day or the week where you might be able to hear from Christ in restful moments and as we sing songs, we have some prayer team people will be down front and aside. If it just feels like it's been a really stormy season and you just want to pray with someone, these people are available. There's prayer journals in the back if you want to write out a prayer or if you simply want to sing or listen and hear the words of your Savior saying, I got this. I got this. Let's continue in worship this morning. <laughs>